Full Service Radio is proudly supported and hosted by Simplecast, the easiest way for a podcast creator to publish and distribute audio on the internet. For more information, visit simplecast.com. Full Service Radio. Hey, what's going on? Welcome to Foreign National on Full Service Radio. Broadcasting live from the Line Hotel in Adams Morgan here in Washington, D.C. I'm your co-host, Eric Brunner-Yang, with my other host, the wonderful Pixada Knack. Um, can I get those horns? <laughs> it's been a while, and you came on with your uh, very deep radio voice. That's my Glenn Hollis voice. Nobody can beat Glenn Hollis' voice. <laughs> All right, so we have two great guests today. One is Colin Sigowski, who is the beverage director here for our two restaurants at the Line Hotel, Brothers and Sisters and Spoken English. And we have our creative director of our company, Foreign National, um, creative director Ryan Kibler. Um, today's show is about... I'm so excited. We're going to talk about the uh, cultural identity of adoptees, and we have our... Uh, Two favorite folks on our team uh, who happen to actually be Korean adoptees. Not that I want to put you in that box or anything. I guess it's kind of we're not no, we're not making like a you a novelty either. Sorry, I apologize in advance. Um, this is just going to be a really great opportunity to, to discuss really just cultural identity, and that's kind of what we do here with uh, the Foreign National uh, podcast. And we just kind of dissect it and choose a couple topics and get really really into it. And so one of those is. You know, something Identity. that you both uh, right. relate to. And you both agreed to it. So if you feel offended, just remember you guys agreed to it. Yeah, we didn't scam you <laughs> If anybody's this. like crying a, or any of that stuff. We didn't offer you a bonus. <laughs> we just said, come talk about yourself. So uh, for the, the listeners and for our guests, because we typically don't brief the guests on what they're coming into because we want it to be this real raw experience. Uh, Foreign National, the show, is about um, identifying... Um, and learning about yourself through the community that you end up becoming a part of and how your stories and your background end up contributing and defining the community around you, right? It's kind of the idea of what the kind of the word foreign national in essence means. Someone goes to a different country um, and they really immerse themselves in their culture they, um, and end up contributing in some way to the identity of the community that they become a part of and they feel this sense of um, attachment and love um, as this new entity um, versus kind of like where they kind of know where they're from or the idea of that they don't know where they're from and they're trying to figure it out, right? So that's what this show is about. Um, and I think it's great to have the two of you here um, because this is obviously um, a topic um, that is, um, I don't think, totally discussed a lot, but also a big part of American culture is the adoption of Koreans. Um, and um, so I, I'm really grateful that you guys are open to talking about this. So we'll just kick it off. We'll start with Colin. A little background on Colin. He started working for me at Tokyo Underground when he was uh, 20. 20. Yeah. Um, and um, he was one. He was our very first hire, I believe. Uh, I was actually the very last hire. Ah, the very last yeah. hire of the first round. Of, of the first round. Of the yeah. first round. So he's been. So what? That's 2012. 2011. Uh, 2011. Yeah. yeah. So Colin's been with us for a long time. 
um, and has worked his way up the ranks into this great management position that he is today. Uh, he's like a little brother to me in a good and a bad way. Um, and uh, But I don't think I learned about your background until we knew each other a few years later um, when I was, um, I think I made some bad Asian joke. And uh, you're like, I'm not Asian, but I he's am. He's Polish. Yeah. I, I always knew Colin as uh, he's, he's Polish. So, oh, okay. Um, if you feel comfortable, just talk about as much as you want to talk about. But let's start from, you know, the roots. Yeah. So um, I was born in Seoul, Korea. Um, my parents adopted me when I was five months old, and it was a closed adoption. So I don't really know a lot about my birth parents. Um, I know a little bit about my, like, just kind of the general knowledge of my mother and father. My father was a musician. Um, he was also tall, which is, I guess, why I'm tall. Um, my mom worked in a tea house. Um, that's pretty much it. Um, raised by um, a Polish-American family. Um, both parents were first generation. Um, and I think when I was little, one of the things that... It, I talk about my being adopted a lot because I don't really think of myself as Korean. Um, I don't really culturally identify that way. It just kind of... I really don't think about it ever. Um, which is funny being part of the, you know... Yeah, it's, it's funny when, when uh, non-adoptees are like, so how do you feel about that? And right. I'm like, uh... They're like, nothing, I'm American. Yeah. I, <laughs> I, I kind of yeah. made a joke the other day that somebody was like, what's it like being adopted? And I was like, it's kind of like being raised by parents. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, and you know, I, I imagine that's kind of an annoying thing that you kind of have to uh, face sometimes. Just, just kind of like as any other... Asian American or anybody from any background that has to deal with random questions like, well, where are you really from? Things like that. And right. I imagine, you know, there's a whole other avenue of, of, that, yeah. of questions that, you know, adoptees have to yeah, um, like, deal with where you don't, you're not an adoptee, you just kind of are. And your parents may not look like you, just like anybody from any country. And then in this case, it's, uh, you know. People well, kind of look at you. Let's like, get some. You know let's get some are. deets on it. So, but like, um, oh yeah, and you know, and so I think getting into just a little bit, you know, we we're not coming in here like we know everything about you know the background and the history of really just adoption and then specifically in Korea, um, but it seems it kind of started in the in the fifties, um, you know, you know, as a I guess it was like sort of a post humanitarian initiative to open up adoptions um, in Korea, and obviously everybody's going to look at that a little bit different, but I think that was sort of a little bit of that perception. Um, and it, I guess it was kind of initiated by a, a, a Hope family. Is I, that's actually what their name was, a Hope family. And they already they came from a farm, and so they already had six children. They're good Christian folks, and they're like, you know what? We saw this documentary on, um, you know, uh, you know, just GI children, and we we want to actually look into you know bringing some over to the U.S. and you know be their parents. You know that that typical, um, you know, good-hearted mentality, and then. Uh, I guess they kind of pushed for a bill to pass to be able to kind of allow for these adoptions to happen, a little bit, that process to be a bit smoother, and then it just kind of started happening from there. But I, mean, I think that's just a, a very, very tiny, tiny tidbit of just like maybe the beginning of um, the more the flux of Korea adoptions. Yeah. So but for Colin, how old were you <coughs> when you were adopted? Uh, five months. Five months. Yeah. And then um, just because I, I know, but... Um, you uh, were raised in New Jersey? Yeah, I was raised in uh, South Jersey. Um, really, really rural area. Uh, it's called Medford. Mm-hmm. Um, it's right in the middle of Wharton State Forest or the Pine Barrens. Um, so it's it's funny, growing up, um, my town was predominantly Caucasian, and 
obviously my family is as well. And I remember being really, really little, um, probably like one or two and looking in the mirror and I guess whenever I could talk and um, asking my mom, like, why do I look different from you? And my mom is like the sweetest human being on the planet. And she was just like, Amanda, who's my mother's biological child. She was like, Amanda grew here, pointing to her stomach. And then she was like, and you grew here, pointing to her heart. And I was like, okay, that's all I need. That's (laughs) (laughs) good enough explanation for me. And just never really thought about it um, until I started going to school and stuff like that. And that's when it really got pointed out. obviously because kids are terrible yeah and uh <laughs> did they call you chinese because everyone called me chinese call me chinese people still call us all yeah chinese. i was about to say yeah, yeah, yeah. I, 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 people changed. still call me chinese yeah. um i thought i was chinese for a while though oh really as a kid yeah because i didn't really know the difference between ethnics yeah. so when my when i was adopted my um the adoption agency gave my parents this book called korea my motherland um and my mom would like read it to me all the time and when i started to read i loved that book and read it cover to cover a thousand times. Um, it was really important to me as a kid, even though now I don't, you know, I, like I said, I don't identify as Korean. I don't speak Korean or anything like that. That book still holds like a really special place in my heart. You guys, um, not you guys, because obviously, you know, there's three other people here. Um, but Brian and Colin, um, and I don't mean by you guys adopted. I mean, I'm the folks that are sitting here at the table. So. Anywho, um, Ryan and Colin seems to, what I find interesting is that you guys do identify yourselves in the context of as adoptees very differently, where Colin, it's not really a thing for you. And you're, and, and how you kind of deal with that is just trying to get people to recognize you just as who you are. And Ryan, we have these conversations a lot about who and how you identify, which is very different from Colin. I'm sure, obviously, in the same that your parents are your parents, and it's never been a thing. But, I mean, you've definitely mentioned that as you get older, you feel a sense of, um, you kind of seek a little bit of more of a connection to... Yeah, yeah, definitely. I, I, especially um, a year and a half ago, I went to uh, visit Korea um, with two of my really good close friends. And uh, I don't know, as I got older, I just wanted to learn more about my culture, whether it be by the food... Or the history, but also dating Korean women, as all of you know, <laughs> happens. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's, I feel like um, I've always felt disconnected from like all different types of groups of people, but I've, I've learned from different groups growing up. And I feel like as I got older, I really, really wanted to learn more about my culture. So I've definitely done some research. Um, I tried to find my parents. I hit a dead end. But I, I actually went to Busan, where I was born, which was really cool. Um, so what? Did, so Colin gave us this really um, cool origin story, right? Mm-hmm. And then, so why don't we um, talk about your origin story a little bit, and kind of from there to today, so we can get some um, nice context about who you are. Okay, so I was adopted um, at a eight, uh, later age than Colin. I was adopted when I was two. Um, I was born in Busan, which is like uh, a southern part of Seoul, which is by the ocean. Um, and I originally was in New Jersey, which is really weird. I didn't know that about you, Colin. Hmm. Um, in central Jersey, uh, kind of near the Pine Barrens and uh, oh, Lakewood and Tom's River. Oh. And then I came to D.C. when I was in elementary school. Um, and so, yeah, both my parents, my father's German and Irish and my mother's Polish. Um, this is where somebody ignorant goes, are you guys related? <laughs> yeah, I know. Are we brothers? But you know, like... Are we- you never know, right? No, we never know. Like, even sometimes right. when I've dated, like, Korean girls, I'm like, you might be my sister. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're from Busan, too? <laughs> well, I think what's interesting, too, because our good friend, I don't know if he wants to put us out there so I won't use his name, but um, who is also a Korean adoptee, his 
center point of coming to America was through New Jersey too. Yeah, I and think a lot of the agencies ended up in. Now he's in California, so um, that's crazy. You know, be interesting. Do you know the names of the agencies? Definitely. So it's actually funny. The agency that I was adopted through is across the street. I found that out the other day. That's oh, wow. for the love of children. Was that totally by accident? Totally. I was going to get lunch at the pho place, and I looked at it, and I was like, "That's across that the looks street." Super familiar. Yeah, that's crazy. And yours? Do you that's know? that's one of the agencies I went through. Okay, that's across the street. Yeah, that's you crazy. guys are actually well, related, and I we discovered should, this on you the show. Go, yeah, you should go see. <laughs> um, uh, they have your. They have more access to your records there. Maybe. So I think it's interesting because Colin, obviously, he it's a part of who he is, but he really, you know, knowing him, he really identifies more of like in the moment. This is who I am, and the world around me is how I identify. Versus you is very similar, but knowing you through almost the same amount of years as Colin, you've always been trying to answer this question about. Yeah, I mean, I don't think it was more of a question. I just think it's important to me to learn more about my roots and my heritage. I'm not, I don't think there's like unanswered questions or anything, but you know, as I started becoming an adult and really being comfortable with who I am and, and my beliefs, I realized that a lot of them are aligned with Korean culture. Um, as I got to know more about it through friends and, and um, research. And so it was just for me, it was just like, okay, well, if I act this way, I want to know why. And mm. it's, it's interesting. Like I love Korean food. Like I crave it sometimes. Like the vinegars and and uh, the stews and it, it's just it's just for me it was more like okay I have all these like weird things that are going on that are similar to Korean people but I want to know what what's why is this happening you know I mean let's talk about cultural identity a little bit period because you Mr Eric Bunyang are actually kind of an interesting one too and you don't even really like to talk about it but. Um, just are we going to do a, not are we gonna do a cultural identity circle real quick? Yeah, I know. Because, I mean, it, it's different. I think that's why, you know, when it comes to being Asian Americans or, you know, what, however it is that you identify, um, we are a lot more layered and complex than uh, a lot of people don't give uh, to Asian Americans. Um, like, for me, obviously, one of the biggest things that we've talked about several times on the show is the Cambodian-American diaspora, you know, and how different that is. And, and I feel like we've gotten a chance to kind of discuss that a little bit, to kind of put that on the table. Um, and then, you know, Eric, you, you're actually, you're, your dad is, um, you know, half Belgian, but then you grew up with a different dad as well. And a lot of people don't realize that. I'm not trying to put you out there, but it is something that you're pretty open about if somebody actually asks you, but they didn't. So even, I, I, even me, as a Cambodian-American who actually feels like I know who I am um, and I seek out a little bit more of a connection in so many other ways um, and I continue to do that and then as we have kids as well it's it's important for me to allow them to feel connected to being Cambodian and in a way that I'm not putting on to them but hopefully something that they are going to feel um, inclined to as they get older and, and kind of figure themselves out. But um, you are kind of an interesting one that you've been able to, to just do through food is how you connect with being half Taiwanese. But then you have that other half of you that you never really think further about and you almost just don't really think about. So it's, I think everybody here at the table is kind of really interesting when it comes to cultural identity. I don't know. Okay, so why don't you kick it off then to be like, give us your cultural identity Me? self self um, well, you know what's funny? Self okay, spit out and okay. Then we'll, we'll Let just me think go, about we'll how. I, yeah, we'll go out because I think I think at the, you know, we can we can sit here and probably talk about you know being Korean adoptees, but it's almost like at least in in Colin's sense, it's just like, well, what do you want to know? I'm just adopted, you know. And I think Ryan is a totally much, different yeah. way. <laughs> yeah, 
Um, and so I think it really all comes down to how I think us as Asians um, really identify because we're, you know it comes down to the, co the the conversations we have about food. Is this authentic? We have this desire of authenticity or whatever it is that we have not a lot of information about or you know um, I guess um, information about our, our actual history or, or, or so people don't hand that to us. We have to seek it out ourselves. I mean, as a Cambodian American, I mean. That's what I identify as. I actually, you know, my grandparents are Chinese, but I never talk about it. I never identify as Chinese, none of that. And I think a lot of Cambodians actually find it to be a privilege to be mixed Chinese because it's always been seen as, you know, an advantage to have lighter skin, to be, you know, connected to like a Chinese identity. And for me, I because of Cambodia's history and people and, I strongly identify as a Cambodian American first, you know, a Cambodian, and then a Cambodian American. So, I mean, that, that's, right? We'll do Ryan next because And I then, of course, yeah, ever since, you know, my dad <laughs> used to joke that I married a Chinese guy. Like, <laughs> that's right. We'll do Ryan next because I think as we get to me and then Colin, it gets more loaded and convoluted. <laughs> so I think you two are fairly straightforward. <laughs> we know what we want. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I just, I can, I culturally identify myself as, as American. I mean, growing up, I, I think I, like, was kind of, like, unconsciously misplaced and didn't understand, like, who I was because of my parents and the way I was raised, um, because it's very complicated in other ways other than being Korean adopted. But um, I kind of saw that, like, went and tried to learn through other groups of people. So, like, I went through that phase where I thought I was black and I would watch music videos on MTV and try and dress like Jay-Z and Nas and Wu-Tang Clan. And for a little while, I'm not going to lie, I really did convince myself that I was this thug that, and hung out with thugs and grew up in that way. And, you know, it, I also, like, got really... You're hanging really, out with Eric. You're still hanging out with I know. Yeah. Washington <laughs> Post favorite thug right here <laughs> in the flesh. <laughs> um, no, but, like, you know, and then I, like, got into really into music and the hardcore scene. And, and I think all of those things kind of like has made me who I am today and through the people and those types of cultures and communities have really I feel like I identify that mostly and th if you want to say anything that I've, I really consider myself American more than Korean American because Korean people like Korean dudes don't like me like when I'm in K-Town in New York and like I'm out with my friends like I almost every time almost get in a fight with someone and I don't start it because you know I'm a you think they can, they can smell it on you? Well I just think they're like they're <laughs> you know, they just I think I have a little bit more flavor than them being like, you know, having all these like different, different experiences than they have. And they can see that I'm Korean, but they can see that I'm not. Because you don't speak like, it. I don't speak it. I don't. My mannerisms, I feel like a little different. Um, you know, but yeah. So I think if anything, I, I, I identify myself as being American more than Korean American. Yeah, I mean, I think what's interesting, though, also is like, as you tell your story is talking about how you try to figure out who you are. And maybe it's because of, not to get like deep. No, go ahead. Um, maybe it's because in, you know, whether you're trying to identify through learning about black American culture or if you're trying to identify by learning through this DIY music culture. And now, like you said, you're really interested in learning more about your Korean roots. This sounds like you're still trying to figure out your own sense of self-discovery yeah. or getting to that point where it's like, okay, I'm, I'm solid about who I am as a person. But, you know, how am I going to represent future Ryan Kibblers and, like, what that means when that point in my life comes? It's like, okay, you know, when it comes to that point in my life, 
you know, what is the story that I want to carry forward? No, absolutely. For my next, you nailed it. My next, for my little ones. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I really appreciate um, anyone's path to trying to figure out what this roots is, and I don't think everybody's obligated to like. Like, Colin should not feel obligated to feel any more Korean than he already does or doesn't now. But I, what I find so interesting and what I appreciate about it is just like as Asian Americans or any generation in America is that we actually could not be here. So what would my life actually be if I wasn't here? Because that's a, that, that could be two very different paths that generations ago could have happened to me. So that's why I find it so interesting or, or so important to me to continue to know about the other experiences of the Cambodian diaspora or Cambodians or uh, in general abroad in Cambodia because my cousin's experience in Cambodia, that actually could be me if my parents did not make it to America. If, if Ryan was never adopted, he could actually be that guy in Korea. It's just like it's a very, uh, there's this one point in life where somebody made some kind of decision that makes you where you are today. So, it, so I, I, you know, I would be so compelled if I were in your position to know what that other well, life would be. I don't, not I don't because really I desire about, it, but... yeah. But I feel like, like, people have asked me that question too, like, oh, what, like, don't you want to meet your, your, your real parents? And I'm like, first off, my real parents are my adopted parents. <laughs> Second off, if I wanted to meet my biological parents, the main purpose for me would be like, look, like, I want you to let, let you know, like, everything you did, I'm very fortunate, and you should be proud of your decision, because if you look at me and what I've accomplished and who I've become as a man, like, you should be very happy because I'm very happy with my life and who I who I've become, you know. So like I get what you're saying. Like yes, definitely. I I never really think about how it would be if I was born Korean. I just think about more like if I did meet my parents. Like it would be like yo, thank so, you. <laughs> so Ryan, do you know if your uh, was your adoption also a closed adoption? Yeah. Okay. So that's something that I've I've thought about a lot. It's like meeting my birth parents because it's something that people always encourage you to do, and my mother encouraged me to do it. And I had really conflicting thoughts, like coming into being a teenager and like 16, 17 years old, I remember having the thought a lot about meeting my, my birth parents. And the first thing I thought about, of course, was um, like, a, like the language barrier. Um, would I be able to relate to them? Would I be able to find them? You know, with the very limited information that I have, um, I don't think that they're together. I think that it was sort of like a you know, wedlock sort of thing or whatever. Um, and while I definitely agree with that where it's like I want to let them know that I'm so fortunate for the life that you gave me and I'm so lucky to have grown up in you know a middle class American family and be afforded all those opportunities I think there's also the other side of it too that I thought about a lot <clears throat> probably overthought it but how hard it would be yeah. for not only me but more importantly my parents to meet me have nothing in common really other than obviously blood but then to just leave you know, like, how sustainable would that relationship be? How how hard would it be to be like, oh, hello, 17 years later. Yeah, you, I thought about the like, consequences too. And like, then just leave. Yeah. You know, would they, would would it be a favor, would it be a welcome reunion? And if it was, how hard would it be for her to then see her son leave again? Yeah, it's like closing that loop. That's, that could really just be like this really strangely weird ego-driven thing where yeah, it totally. might not even be a necessary like i like i need to close this loop for myself right but at the same time it's like i guess because you don't know it's like 
especially if the adoption is closed, especially if they choose to have a closed adoption, it's like someone has chosen to close that door because they have already emotionally closed that door in the sense that uh, this is my, you know, that I'm closing this door, I'm making this decision and I would like to never look back on it. Yeah, absolutely. And then for, and this could be a, a thing about privilege, right? It's like, okay, now that I'm educated and I have these experiences and I have the time to talk about how I want to self-identify or figure myself out. I want to reopen these doors that have been already closed so I can close some loop or circle in my life that either other people say I need to do that I haven't really thought about it, but now it's in my brain, so now I'm thinking about it and I should want to do it. Or it's kind of like, I'd like to know. Um, Yeah, but you get what I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, totally. That makes sense. And then I think about when you think about the mother or the parents have to make the decision at that time in a country of, you know, the cultural barriers and obstacles and shame and stigma that comes into an out-of-marriage pregnancy and birth. You know, you, you're making that decision at a moment in your life that it's, uh, it's going to be very here and now. And, and again, like I'm not speaking from experience at all, but I think about when you do hear about, uh, about those stories where, you know, there are reunions and the parents are relieved to hear that their, child, their adopted children are doing really well and that might be a closure for both ends to know that everybody's at peace. Um, but to know that, you know, I have been thinking about you and at that time I had to make that decision because of the pressure, the social pressure, the stigmas. Um, and then, you know, as time goes by and you have adult children and you realize, and, and again, like that's everybody is different, but I imagine, especially, let's just say at least for Cambodians, I'm, you know, uh, and really a lot of Asian cultures and, you know, non-American cultures, the, the shame of having um, a, a pregnancy or a child, you know, out of wedlock. And, and, and again, you know, whatever other situations that happen in the instance that you actually have to face adoption, you know, poverty, whatever it is. Um, you know, when you're down that road, like 20 years later, or 25 years later, you actually think of it as a mistake or not even as a mistake, but just to say, I made the right decision and I have my own family now. I am curious to see how they're doing because they're still very much a part of me. And as a mother myself, I think I would be curious. And, and again, like, and then I would also be, okay, let's just say if I made the decision to have a Coles adoption, because I'm just happy that somebody is okay, that, you know, the person I gave birth to is okay. Um, you know, I, again, I think it's, it's different. Like, maybe I could totally see your perspective on, you know, your parents saying if they made a closest adoption, like, they're good in that, and it's completely ego to just show up and be like, hey, how's it going? I'm doing great, and you're doing fine. Thank you. But there is that whole other element that we're not thinking about. You know, it's not in America. We're talking about a country that was going through something, you know, whatever it is. Um, these women are facing different challenges as to why they're even having to make this decision that they may or may not even really wanted to make. So. It's uh, they did a poll about, um, I think someone collected data about through all the agencies being like how many because um, when you want to reach out to your parents you have to go through the agency, obviously and they reach out to them to let allow them to know, hey your biological child is reaching out they want to meet you would you like us to set something up so this could happen, and the poll was like sixty eight percent I want to say mm-hmm. close to seventy percent wanted to meet and then the rest did not so. I think it's it all depends on who the person is and 
Yo, we definitely have to have a follow up and invite the agency across the street. <laughs> Way to totally. drop that bomb like, Actually, before the show. Up right now. Yeah. yeah. I, um, it, it's we have the paperwork coming right now. <laughs> yeah. Uh, talking about like reaching back out and stuff like that. Um, this must have been five, six years ago on Facebook. Um, this girl reached out to me and she messaged me and she was like, Hi, my name's uh, Sarah. Um, I got the information from the flight from Korea to America, and we were on the same flight together. Oh, that's crazy. So, like, basically it was a 747 full of little Korean babies, and (laughs) she found the manifesto and found all the names of the people and was reaching out to them. Interesting. She found, she went back and she, she found her birth parents and reconnected with them. She learned Korean, she really immersed herself in it, and, um, she lives in Pennsylvania, she has a child now, um, but it was just... It was crazy. Like, it's it's very interesting for me, you know, talking about the levels at which that you kind of connect with it and yeah. and, and wanting to go back. You it's, know, it's weird. There's well, someone put um, an article out in the New York Times magazine, and she was very bitter about the whole process of being adopted. I remember reading that. Yeah, I was. It was very interesting to read because it was just totally different from my experiences and like how I've how I look at it. And it's just like she wasn't set up with the best. I guess her in her mind the best situation mm. um, they're very strict Christians mm. and they just weren't the greatest people supposedly and I don't know yeah it's just really interesting how people handle it and how different it is for everyone yeah yeah so uh, interesting fact about me um, is that I guess I'm technically adopted by my stepfather because mm. that's when I became that's when I went from Kintan to um, Bruner Yang it was when my mom remarried is that how you pronounce it? Yeah, I learned that. There's a there's a DC. I learned, so, I learned something new about my husband yeah. every day. Well, but forever, my my birth certificate last name is forever. I thought it was pronounced Quantin. It was Eric Quantin. So I was Eric Quantin up until about fourth grade, third or fourth grade, and then uh, my mom remarried uh, first grade or something like that. So around third or fourth grade, my my stepfather um, Siegfried Brunner, uh, quote unquote, adopted me. And then that's when I took on the name Brunner Yang. Signature uh, branded Eric The Brunner. signature Brunner Yang, right? <laughs> and thus a legend was born. And then, um, uh, but yeah, I learned I learned when we opened Toki, um, because our health inspector was this guy named Ross, and he was um, from, he's Belgian, and I was like, you know, trying to connect with the health inspector so he doesn't look at all the corners and joking around and whatever. And I was like, hey, you know, I'm, I have Belgian descent. I used to have a Belgian last name, Quantin. He's like, there's no such thing as Quantin. And I was like, and then I spelled it out for him. He goes, oh, Quintan. I was like, holy shit, 30 years <laughs> of my life I've been pronouncing my birth last name wrong. But um, it's funny because, um, you know, j- just like you guys, I've never actually met my birth father. Um, so he... He left my mom uh, when I was around two, well, actually right after I was born. I was born in Taipei, and then he was like, hey, I'm going to go back to the States and get the house ready. And then when my mom came back to the States with me, the house was empty, and he had disappeared, and no one could find him. And then so I had to go back to Taiwan, and then that's when I lived with my grandparents for the first four years of my life while my mom stayed in the U.S. and had to get a job and an apartment and kind of get everything back together so I could actually live with her in the U.S. And... um, um, yeah, so up until this day, I've never met my birth father. And I think that was like, you know, same with the identity as we talk about identity. It's like I've always had this crisis of identity because um, being half, um, it's like 
you're never really fully accepted into one group and you're never really fully accepted into the other group and then you have this weirdness where you like you speak half of one language well and you speak the other half of the other language well how did how did you feel when you're how do you feel when you're in um taipei taipei is different because it's like super but do you do you feel i feel very taiwanese okay yeah see i felt very yeah i felt very korean when i was in seoul and and busan but i still felt like everyone was looking at me strange. Mm. Yeah, everyone looks at you. Like strange. Song and Tom felt the same way, and, yeah. and they were raised Korean, but they—they're yeah. very. You, you guys know them. They're very Americanized, and they're very. Yeah. They're not. They're your stereotypical Korean guy. Yeah. When I when I go back to Taipei, which we we've done regularly, and I get there, I'm like, okay, this feels natural. Like I don't feel like a tourist. I feel like this is my home. I identify it as some sense of home. Um, but I don't like when I'm in the U.S. I'm not like, oh my god, I gotta gotta go back to my country right. and, and like collect myself. <laughs> but when I'm but when I'm there, when I'm there, I'm like, I you know, I feel at at peace here. But that is only in Taipei. If I go 20 minutes to a different town <laughs> right, right, or somewhere right. else, I'm like, I'm definitely like, this is not, this is very strange to me. I think it's because Taipei is like definitely super familiar with, to me that that alone is i'm i identify more of like someone that lived in taipei once a foreign national i guess of that place (laughs) versus like oh i feel like i'm super taiwanese but um you know i've gone back and forth the same thing about closing this loop of where i've come from right and the part of where i've come from is this person that i've never met who as I've met my half-brother and, and, and have learned to talk to him, and as my mom gets older and is willing to open up about um, my birth father a little bit, learning that, oh, my God, I have a lot of similar nuances as this guy that, A, nobody likes, that this guy <laughs> that nobody likes, um, where it's like they're telling me stories about him. I'm like, you know, that's definitely who I am. Uh, this, wait, this I hope person one I of those nuances that you don't abandon your family. Just want to throw that out there. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, now as, as <laughs> a parent. You're just going to work. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But now as a parent, it's like I just, now that I've become a parent, I've had zero desire to meet this person because to me, it's like, I just don't understand. How you could do that. How you could do that. Whether, right. not, this is very different than adoption because especially in Korean adoption, it's very different. It's like, these are like life or death circumstances for some of these moms but in the case of my father who was well off and just an asshole it's kind of like um i have no desire now as a parent to close that loop because it's like i just don't understand whether you want to be with my mom or not how you can um not want to participate in your child's life or to even know um and so like i've really kind of closed that have you ever thought about what it would be like to meet him like how would you respond no, I think I met my half brother, and I got enough. Yeah, I got enough connection from my half brother to feel like okay, that's good for me. This is a person that's really great. Um, who I feel like when I lo- when we look at each other, it's like okay, like we look like we could be we're siblings, even though like you're six four and like <laughs> super white. Yeah, it's uh, it's, it's crazy because I don't know for Colin, I don't know if I can speak for you, but I know Eric for sure. Like loyalty is a huge thing for you, and loyalty is a huge thing for me, and I think that's rooted from the abandonment that we subconsciously think about sometimes. You know what I mean? Yeah. And and yeah, it's it's interesting when I because sometimes I like also because I'm a thug. True. <laughs> uh-huh. That's what you learn on the streets in Virginia, right? <laughs> yeah. Learn on the streets. Of yeah. Woodbridge. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so Colin, yeah, your turn. Um. Just kind of touching on loyalty and things like that, um, something that always stuck with me was um, 
having been adopted and my mom was really good about explaining to me as, as a child um, like the differences between her and I. Another thing that I remember doing was um, when I would ask, why do I look different? I would ask, why do my eyes look different specifically? And she would say, well, you just have very special eyes. Um, and just kind of as, like, as a side story, I remember being in preschool and playing in sandbox and some kid uh, threw sand, or not threw sand, but like I got sand in my eyes. My mom had to pick me up because I had sand in my special eyes. Um, which my mother still talks about till today Um, but yeah um, just the concept of kind of choosing your family um, as opposed to being born into it because I wasn't born into my family you know I was born to this couple in Korea and then I was adopted by my mother and father and then my parents got divorced when I was pretty young Um, and in spite of feeling very very close with my mother and my sister I always did feel a distance with my extended family and as I've grown up and as I've become an adult um, it's one of those things where I, I don't even necessarily attribute it to being adopted because my family was always super welcoming. Um, I, I always just kind of wonder if it's just me or if it's that. And there's really no way to tell, or I don't think there's any way to tell. Right. Or I, you know, I, I don't really have a desire to figure that out. But um, the people that I choose to include in my life um, are very, very important to me. And it's something where it's like, you know, I've been through a couple of really rough situations throughout my life, and I've gone periods of time without talking to people, but I always try to to make it up to them or try to have an open dialogue because it hurts when you when you have that loyalty to people. It's, it's you know, it's super important. But um, touching on another thing that Ryan said where it's like Korean dudes don't like you. Uh, <laughs> it's funny, like, talking about, you know, so as we've kind of established, I... I identify as American um, <clears throat> but and this sounds ridiculous to say but sometimes I forget what I look like and you know I have I'm we're both tall and we both have these kind of like deep voices or whatever and handsome so, as shit yeah, yeah, yeah I mean you guys can't tell over the or over the radio but just <laughs> gorgeous it's ridiculous but um it's funny sometimes when I'm at the bar and I'm talking to guests um a lot of times the first thing they'll say is, you speak English really well. And it always takes me back. I'm always like, oh, shit, like, you don't see me the way that I see me. I see yeah. me as just a person, whereas you see me as an Asian dude first, and then whatever. Or they'll look at it. you and they'll be like, why or aren't like, there more Asian servers at this <laughs> restaurant? Or, like, or they say, Haseo, and I'm like, nah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> it's me fu- too. It's funny, we'll too, sometimes, eat. like, when I'm out, um, and a female will come up to me and they'll be like, I usually don't like Asian guys, but... All the dot, time. Dot, dot. And I'm like... All the time. I'm like, really? Come on, son. Like, We need more Asian male representatives on America's Next Top Model. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, know, every, right? every girl I've dated in like the last 10 years has said that in like the first two weeks of us dating is, oh, I don't usually like Asian guys. Right. And it's like, well, that's weird. I mean, yeah, it's, it's <laughs> Well, you know, like me growing up, it was like... This is definitely my life story. We talk about it a lot where it's like, took me forever where I was just like, I just want to fit in. Fitting in means I'm going to date Caucasian women. Fitting in means I'm going sure. to be this way, blah, blah, blah. And then I've grown up and I end up marrying full-blooded, hot, <laughs> emotional Cambodian-American woman who's like super deep into her roots. It's like just like the aunt. It's just like this finally realizing that like I wanted to have a life partner that understood cultural background and you know having this kind of 
kind of essence that you know that I was you know trying to block for so long mm. um, and I think like you know that's why you date how you date <laughs> <laughs> we'll see how where you end up well you know and that's why I think it's so uh, I, I always kind of I don't bug you too much about it but I think it would be interesting to meet your father's family if not your what you say asshole father because I, I, again I think everybody at the table is that um, you know we don't come from privileged circumstances to have been given the choice of our family situation so it's, it's so it's so it's different you know and, and that's why you know would you, if you had Ami will doesn't have the choice to know who her dad's father is mm-hmm. so that is gonna it, it may or may not mean anything to her but if she was anything like me if she becomes anything like me it's gonna be a huge part of who she is yo it better be I'm just joking. I mean, maybe <laughs> not because you don't really want to meet. All right. That. So as we kind of, <laughs> we always try to get to the, you know, thank you everyone. These were some very personal kind of stories and definitely more than you probably think about it in the talk about it openly. We appreciate it as we usually wrap up into the last. Uh, also, Ryan is still single. What's really good. Yes. <laughs> um, last 10 minutes of the show. We always kind of bring it back into food. Obviously, we kind of do that because of what our company, Foreign National, is with our restaurants that we own and me as the host and the businesses that we own. And um, this is definitely... Oh, can we get like background music during the snack talking Ooh, yeah. What, what do you want to hear? I don't Something know. sexy. Sexy, yeah. Let's talk about sexy snacks. <laughs> sexy snacks. Something sexy. Um, All right. So I love to ask. I love to ask about the weird... I don't know, quote unquote weird. And I say, you know, I'm not even going to say weird because of how, you know, being a Cambodian growing up, we always, you know, had different types of treats, right? Different types of treats. And then also one of my favorite things is just eating junk food and it still is, but I have weird things. I'll, I'll kick it off. This is a story I haven't told on the air before. And this is a very like me as Eric Brunner Yang moment and people that know me, they'd be like, oh my God, that's totally you. So... This is my food story. Oh, so I was, uh, this is third grade. I was living in Japan at Yokota Air Force Base. And um, uh, I wanted a bike for my birthday, but we couldn't really afford a bike. So we bought a used bike and it was this pink bike, like bright pink bike with the pink little things coming off the handlebars. But that was my bike. And every Sunday I was allowed to ride and go wherever I wanted. It was like for two hours I could go anywhere. And so for every Sunday... Um, by myself, I would go to Popeye's on the Air Force Base. <laughs> I'd ride my pink bike to the Popeye's. I'd get the kids' meal. I'd eat it in the parking lot by myself. And then I would ride all the way back. And I remember that. And then at one point in time when I was young, my mom and I, we got in a big fight. And um, when I ran away from home, I went to the Popeye's because that's the only place I knew how to go to. And I hung out there until, until, the, until the cops found me at the Popeye's because that's, that's awesome. obviously where I would go. So that's like that's a version of the food story for you. I love your ketchup chicken story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, uh, good lord. Uh, so like growing up, um, even though my mother was uh, first generation Polish, um, we didn't really. It wasn't like it was pierogi every day. You know, it was only special occasion stuff. Um, but when my parents got divorced, my father was a really great cook. Um, but I didn't appreciate it when I was a kid because I was a kid and I was super picky. So when my mother started um, cooking, my sister was very picky and. All she would make was chicken, boiled chicken, 
Um, every single day of the week uh, was boiled chicken. Every once in a while we'd have spaghetti. Every once in a while we'd have London broil that my mother would leave on the grill for four hours on high. Um, God bless her, but she's the worst cook on the planet. Um, but yeah, boiled chicken with cream of mushroom soup or Italian dressing. Um, so I started to eat a lot of ketchup because ketchup was the only thing that made food taste good. And now, to this day, um, every time I taste ketchup, I just shudder. Like it, it just tastes like bad food. Um, I can't do it. I can't smell it. I can't taste it. It's the only thing that's it, it's acceptable on is White Castle burgers, because my grandmother lived in East Rutherford, and there was a White Castle on the way to her house, and that was like a big treat was going and getting White Castle. Um, so yeah, that's, that's yeah. I love. Back in the day, I'd mess with Colin. We'd do family meal. I just put like this big dollop oh. of ketchup on his plate. Oh. I love ketchup. <laughs> oh god, it's so bad. Ami loves ketchup. I love ketchup. Ami's really into ketchup right now. Ketchup so is her brother. Good. I think it's a kid's thing. I'm a kid. All right, kid. Uh, my story. I guess um, how I lost my virginity was I had this really big crush on this I girl, I like Allison. how the, this ties into a food story. It yeah. is. A, it is a, oh, so I got a good virginity okay, so food story right after this, too. <laughs> I, I, lost, I lost my virginity a little bit older. I was 17. Normally, I hear people lost their dream when they're younger. So. This is why he asked for sex music. Um, yeah, let's get some sex. Anyway, um, when I was younger, my um, I was taught how to make a whole chicken. And it was only because when I would be older and I need food in college and stuff, I could use the chicken in so many different ways. Like for soup at the end, the breast, you know, and everything. And so she's like, also, you can really impress girls with, with making a whole chicken. <laughs> So I stuffed it with rosemary. I like wrote everything down and like 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 really had it set. And so I invite Allison over to my father's house when he wasn't there. And uh, like I put the chicken in the oven and like I set it to 350. And then we sat on the couch and we got so into it with each other that I totally forgot about the chicken. And it went up in flames and I almost burned down the house. But it got <laughs> me late, even though we couldn't eat the chicken. So. <laughs> I like how three grown ass men just gave you a chicken story <laughs> as a as a context to their <laughs> their life. It's I'm, a not, great I'm, not ins- I'm not inspired si- by any of it. Since we just all gave a chicken story, then I guess the best thing is that you need to give a chicken story. A fucking chicken story. Yeah. No. Yeah. I mean, I just know, watching you eat chicken, chicken is a chicken story on its own. Okay, I'll say this: my mom brought over our Peruvian chicken the other night. Hmm. And um, it was just really good, and it made me really appreciate my mom because she just shows up with food and she's going to take care of me. Do you guys as Asians okay, judge up, people? Your mom shows up with food but it's like one out of ten it's going to be a hit like Peruvian chicken. Yeah. Because sometimes she'll come in and it's just like boiled yuca for five. Yeah. <laughs> or, or here is a styrofoam with, container with of, like a handle pen. Like, yeah. yeah, just something really fucking or like she'll just bring a bag of like avocados or Yeah. <laughs> and then sometimes you get such like a G. But so, it was so good. I was so hungry and she even picked the chicken for me and everything. Aww. Did you eat it standing? Yeah, I did. Yeah. That's not that, that was the inspiration. I will say she did not English. she really didn't not. have a <laughs> She didn't have any of that white sauce, but just the green sauce. So I, I had didn't get terrible Peruvian it. chicken the other night. That's really it was a shame. super upsetting. Well, well we don't want we don't want to ruin any mom and pop shops, so don't say the name out loud. Yeah, yeah, no. yeah. <laughs> okay, so to wrap it up, nasty snack that you crave when you just wanted to eat something nasty, Colin. Oh God, um, I think the one that sticks out in my mind the most because my mother would shame me for it was. Um, Ego buttermilk waffles mm-hmm. with green olives in like like five or six green olives on top of it. That's weird. And then a slice of provolone cheese, and then it would put it in the microwave. Yo, Jackie just got Whoa. totally yeah. shown up. Oh, wow. <laughs> okay, just to just to preface, 
It's a waffle <laughs> with green olives, sliced cheese melted. Yeah, provolone cheese, and it had to be Eggo buttermilk waffles. I don't, I don't know what wow. it was, crazy. but I loved Eggo. I so what's my the, poor, what's the time Polish? age time frame? God, from like this is your high school, your formative high school years. Yeah, so honestly, probably from like twelve to fifteen, sixteen. I the sheer volume and variety of what I ate at that time, my poor mother because i would i would never eat dinner because it was boiled chicken and it was disgusting <laughs> so i would drink gallons of grape juice i have no idea why but grape juice was the thing that i drank a lot um this disgusting waffle thing and onions i loved onions like you like like an apple like i would like an apple my so we had a friend who was a farmer <laughs> so crazy we had a friend who was a farmer i think i think we got somebody for, for the record on this one. and he yeah. uh he would bring uh bags of uh Sweet Vidalia onions, and I like. I was enamored by them. I loved them. I was like, "Wow, this is so amazing! They smell so good." And so, just eat them whole with ranch dressing. Mm. Yeah, you kill. When's the last time you oh, ate this waffle? Killing it. Right it's now. honestly been a really long time because it's. It's honestly. I mean, now as an adult, it is super embarrassing. <laughs> hey, Jack. I think we need to. We need to get a picture of Colin Yo. eating this waffle for the photo of like the uh, the website photo for this. For this yes. episode, I'm yes. for it. I'm I'm thinking about it now, and it's Eric's like about salty to put it on the and menu. cheesy and crispy, and I'm so ready for it. <laughs> new, <laughs> tell, new dish alert, yeah, my brothers and sisters. I'm gonna tell Harper to put that on the menu. He's gonna have a heart attack. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Brian. Uh, I don't really have any nasty snacks that I. I guess you're gonna hate this, Colin, but I love like um, waffle potato <laughs> chips. Dipped in ketchup because my sister <laughs> used to eat them all the time as a, and sometimes wow. I still do it. I think it's really Both good. Both of your sisters sound it's, traumatized. It's almost like it's almost like a um, French fry, like a really crispy. One French thing I fry. like, yeah. W- one thing I like about Ryan is that he's one of the only people in my company where I can look at him and go, "You want to go to McDonald's?" And he's like, <laughs> "Yes." <laughs> yeah, you want, I love. I eat Popeyes like twice a month, yeah. twice or three times. I a mean, month. you have to. Same. It's so scrumptious. Extra biscuit as your side. Yeah, Don't spicy. Oof, Maybe that's that what we we'll have for dinner mm. tonight. Popeyes. That's, that's my right. That's story. right. All right. All right. Thank you so much, uh, everybody. Thank yeah. you, um, our guest. Thank you to my wonderful co-host and wife. And um, just so you know, spoken English at the Line Hotel is now open. Could we get the? Could we get the? the <laughs> I think the hours are Tuesday through Saturday at six p.m. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Tuesday through Saturday, six p.m. to midnight. Come check out our new spot. If you hate my version of American food. Uh, at, at Brothers and Sisters, then you can come and feel comfortable in my Asian restaurant because it's not <laughs> weird to you. Thanks a lot. <laughs>